Hello, this is Ricky Jones from River Oaks Presbyterian Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast from Sunday to Monday, where we try to take our Sunday sermons that sometimes can feel uh, theoretical and uh, like nice inspirational stories and give them some teeth to them, give them uh, some legs so that you can have an idea of uh, how they apply to your life on Monday and throughout the week. And the way we do that is we try to answer your questions about our sermons and, and honestly your questions about anything. So let me go ahead and give you a plug here. If you want to ask us some questions, if you have anything you'd like for us to discuss, please email them to us. Our email address is info at riveroakstulsa.com. All right, Jonathan, how are you been doing? I've been good. It's been a good summer. My kids are going back to school Friday. That's a good feeling. So summer feels like it's over and... I always feel like we should have like a big party, like all the parents get together at uh, you know Los Cabos or somewhere and eat some chips and celebrate our children being back in school. Yes. <laughs> How about, yeah, Friday brunch or something. Friday brunch, yeah. <laughs> just all day long on Friday. Well, I, well you know, I'm experiencing something new this year. I just dropped uh, one off at college yesterday. Yes, you are. I was totally ambushed by all the emotions. I uh, just mm. had no idea what was coming. Uh, it really hit me Saturday night, and uh, I just was overwhelmed and didn't sleep at all. And uh, it was great. He was so excited to get there, and it was fun once you're actually there. But I feel like I crossed over a, a Rubicon, a, a line that I can never go back over now. You yes. know, kind of. I'm an old parent now. I'm an older parent. I've sent kids off. That is a that is a big rite of passage. It is. I don't like it, really, to be honest. So I'm two years behind you. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm. there you go. I so get to learn ain't, from you. Ain't no going back. So uh, anyway, all right, man. Well, let's. Uh, what, what What are the questions you got for me? Okay, so yesterday's sermon was entitled "Our Covenant God Gives Us a New Identity," and talking about covenant theology. Yeah. How, how God's plan for the world has been going throughout history and how we see that in the Bible and how the Old and New Testament <laughs> mm-hmm. relates. And it was a lot of ground to cover. It was. It was honestly, it was three sermons. <laughs> um, you have one sermon. I mean, there's at least three really important things in covenant theology. One is uh, the relational aspect, that a covenant is not a contract. A covenant uh, is a relationship that's, that's protected by laws like an adoption or like a marriage. And that really, uh, that's one whole sermon when you begin to think about that and really understand it. And then on the second sermon should have been how a covenant gives us a new identity and how we are represented by our covenant heads, which uh, the Olympics are going on right now. So that gives us a great example always of having a covenant head. Uh, when you're when you have your champion out there who's winning for you, just like Jesus was our champion who won for us, and David was Israel's champion who defeated Goliath for them. So that's a whole that could have been a whole second sermon and talking about that. And then you have the third sermon, which would have been on how covenant theology does give us a framework to interpret the whole Bible, and you can go through those covenants and see how God has uh, really with each renewal of the covenant has has cast a brighter and broader light on his work of redemption. So I tried to do all three in one sermon, and it ended up being 40 minutes long, and uh, oh well. And that's okay. It's the best I could do. So There you go. Well, we got, got a number of questions, and I'm excited about the questions. The first one is this. Could you give the four dummies 
compare and contrast between covenant and dispensationalist doctrines? That is a very difficult question to answer. It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, it's a difficult one to answer for two reasons. One is, really for three reasons. Uh, one is because I know covenant theology. I've never studied dispensational theology in depth. Which brings me to the second reason, which is I hate to talk about someone else's theology just because I, you want to be respectful and you don't want to dismiss anybody, certainly not any good brothers in the faith. And and honestly, if you're a Christian in Oklahoma or in, in the United States, you probably have a debt to dispensationalists. Mm -hmm. uh, without dispensationalists, uh, basically almost every Christian in America in the 20th century was either a dispensationalist or uh, had been discipled by one. Right. And so I, I, you know, I don't want to criticize another theology without having someone who believes that theology here to defend it. Um, so I'm not sure that's two or three reasons. Oh, the third reason why it's difficult to to give a brief summary of dispensationalism is because it has changed a lot. Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, originally, I think there were nine dispensations under uh, Schaefer and then seven under Schofield and Ryrie. And now with progressive dispensationalism that's presently being taught at, at Dallas Theological Seminary, there's really just two. Um, and so the, the, the primary idea of dispensationalism, what they stress is the changes the differences between each covenant, uh, the Adamic covenant and the uh, Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, they, they stress the differences and refer to those as different dispensations. When we would stress the similarities and describe them as an unfolding of the one covenant of God's grace. Uh, a second difference is, um, and, and the thing that's really stuck with dispensationalists to this day still say there's two dispensations and want to stress that uh, when Israel rejected Jesus, uh, God, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, God pulled a plan B. He, he did a, something that he that wasn't necessarily part always part of the plan. He began to deal with the Gentile church through uh, which would be saved by faith and uh and in doing that, he created kind of a parenthesis in history. And then when this parenthesis, when referred to by dispensationalists as the church age is over, God will rapture all the Christians out, and then he will go back uh, to working with the, working with the Israelites, uh, restoring the temple and restoring the sacrifices and, uh, and bring redemption to a close. Covenant theologians do not believe that. Uh, we believe that God always intended to save the world through the gospel, uh, that what is happening now and the spread of the gospel is always the intention. That's what he meant when he said, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We believe that the church is the true Israel, um, and it is... Uh, the church is made up, true Israel uh, is made up of all those who have the faith of Abraham believing in the Messiah that God sent. That's why covenant theologians do not talk about the rapture. That's why, uh, you know, the primary dispensational popular works are out there are books of like Left Behind series that tend to talk a lot about the rapture and that kind of thing. Uh, just two very different emphases. 
So that's a lot. That's the four dummies version. Jonathan, was that fair? What do you think? I do think that's fair, and I actually appreciate your tone in these kinds of discussions. Uh, lack of knowledge about the other's position often does not stop criticism, <laughs> but I, I think that's fair, and I think you really did point out the essential differences in my reading of covenant or of dispensational theology. Yeah, there there has been a lot of change, and they have become much much closer to a covenant theology position, but that. That relationship between Israel and the church is, to me, the sticking point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and we in the covenant theology camp see the, the, the Israel as the original church, and now the church as the new Israel, and a fluid, uh, continuous relationship. Um, so that's that's a good over, overview. So then the follow-up question, which is another question somebody wrote in, is what... In what ways did Jesus' new covenant abolish or change the old covenants? Mm-hmm. And in what ways did it, quote, bring the light up on previous covenants? Okay, that's, that's a great question. Uh, it's really a beautiful question. So what we're talking about is how uh, with each stage uh, of redemption, God is bringing fuller and fuller light to his plan. So with Abraham, he reveals that salvation is going to be by faith. And with Moses, he reveals the the sacrifices and that salvation is going to involve uh, blood atonement. And with David, he reveals that salvation is going to create a kingdom. He's going to create a kingdom that will never end. Uh, And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these covenants. So uh, let's talk about the changes first. And then we'll come back and, and talk about how he, he reveals further light. The changes, what we what we say and what we stress is that nothing is abolished. Nothing is just cast away, but there are a lot of things that Jesus fulfilled. For instance, and most obviously, Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrifices. That's why we don't offer sacrifices anymore. He has once and for all given his own body as an atonement for sin, an atoning sacrifice. And therefore, this no is no longer necessary for us to make smaller sacrifices of lambs and bulls because the true blood sacrifice has been offered. God has accepted it, and it is perfect. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Uh, a second thing is that Jesus himself is the true temple. Uh, it was in his body where the Holy Spirit uh, came and dwelt. So we don't need a temple, and we don't need to read the instructions on how to build a temple because Jesus was the true temple. And since he has released the Holy Spirit upon us, and all believers are indwelt are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, uh, we are now the temples. And so there's no need for us to, to build a temple. So that's the first big change. The second big change is that Israel was a, a, a nation as well as a church, and therefore they had these laws that are, that applied to them as a nation of whom they should uh, stone and who they should uh, execute. Uh, the New Testament church is Israel. New Testament Israel is the church. Let me rephrase that. And we don't, we're not a theocracy. We're not a nation. We do not punish with the sword. Uh, we punish with uh, excommunication. So, our, instead of uh, all the things that you would see someone getting cut off from Israel for, stoned for, those are things that we as a church discipline you for, and we. Uh, we will uh, excommunicate you for them. And we 
we read the, the Old Testament laws that, are, that were designed for the nation, and we ask ourselves, okay, uh, what's, what's a modern-day equivalent of that? So, for instance, uh, in the Old Testament, you were forbidden to build a house that didn't have turrets on it. Uh, a turret was a small gate, a small fence, because people would often sleep on their roofs to keep uh, cool in the summer. Uh, they would need these fences so they wouldn't roll over in their sleep and fall off the roof. Well, in you know 2016, we're not going to excommunicate you from your church uh, if you don't have turrets on your roof. That's that's fine. Uh, but there are things we can take from that. Uh, we we look at the law and we go, hey, uh, this is telling me that you need to be making your property safe. So, uh, for instance, if you have a swimming pool, you need to put a fence around it. You need to make you need to be responsible to your neighbor. Uh, that you're not having harmful things in, in your way. And um, I, don't, I don't, don't think I'd go so far as to say we would excommunicate you for it. But, uh, you know, we, we do encourage it. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, they were told that they had all these laws about their oxen. And if your oxen gores uh, another neighbor and what you should do, and, and that's not so much of a problem. But we do encourage people to keep their dogs on a leash and, uh, you know, keep people safe. So that gives you an idea of what we call... Uh, civil laws and how we judge the general equity of those. And then the third uh, change is, is, which is actually not a change, the similarity, the third kind of laws there, the moral laws. And Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, has empowered us to keep the moral laws and uh, by his grace has inspired us to, to have a desire to keep the moral laws and those moral laws, which are, are um, summarized by the, the commandment to love God and love your neighbor and, and enumerated in the Ten Commandments, those are still our uh, guide for life. And, and so that hasn't really changed. But what has changed is how, the Holy, is how the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Christ has enabled us to keep it. So is that a, did I get to the question? I rambled, so I'm not sure I was even yeah. on the question anymore. You're on the question. The question is... You know, how does how does Jesus and the new covenant how does he re, how does the new covenant relate to the old covenant yeah. and uh, and I was just struck as you were speaking both today and in the sermon yesterday just huge consequences mm -hmm. uh, for how we look at the relationship of these two covenants um, just for practical living with yeah. all those laws but also thinking about our doctrine of God and the doctrine of the gospel mm -hmm. which I always come back to that great saying in covenant theology, what's in the old concealed is in the new revealed. Yeah. And so there's so much in the Old Testament that is that is there, but it's wrapped in a bit of a mystery mm -hmm. if you didn't have the New Testament to help right. and the New Covenant to understand it. So just the, the idea of the Trinity and, mm. and the gospel of Jesus are there mm -hmm. in types and in shadows in the Old Covenant, but they're clearly revealed in the New Covenant. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and the way that the, the church in the new covenant is to work is is different, but it's certainly not cut off. Yeah, from the yeah. old covenant. Yeah, you know the way the way I try to describe it to people is uh, the Old Testament, the old covenant is like a movie with a surprise ending. You know, Sixth Sense is the, the yeah. classic example. And then once you find out the surprise ending, you can go back and watch the movie again. And you go, oh, I should have seen that. I should have seen it here. I should. It was obvious. It was obvious. But you would have never figured that out. You would have never guessed that. You know, that's that's the way the Old Testament is. We are already know about Jesus. And so when we, um, 
for instance, a great example. When David uh, is receiving the, his covenant promises that God is going to give him a son, a seed that will reign forever, and then he will be uh, he will build the temple for him, and and will uh, you know be on the throne for for eternity. Everybody thought that was Solomon. Right. Everybody assumed that was Solomon, and Solomon did build the temple. But but not only after the New Testament comes and after Jesus comes and and he says he, he is the temple and he makes the sacrifice and then he's raised from the dead, only then would you have ever guessed that he is truly the, the son of David that, that God was talking about and that he is the one that around whom we will all sing one day according to Revelation, you know, the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he'll rule forever and ever. And we say, well, that's obvious, but it would never, you would have never guessed that. <laughs> and so it's, it's fun, it's beautiful, it's a great way to read that, the Old Testament. And that's, that's what I mean when I said that all the furniture was there, but you couldn't see it. You couldn't see the, the room until Jesus came and turned the light on. So I'm sorry, I get excited about this kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's fun. It's great. And not only reading the Old Testament with the light of the New Testament, reading the New Testament, we have to have the background of the Old Testament. We won't, we won't really get the story. That's true. That's it. So another, another listener wrote in to our email address, info at riveroakstulsa.com, this question, which, which is the next step. Um, in regards to covenant theology, how do you make sense of Matthew seven nineteen, where Jesus says, every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut down, and thrown into the fire. Well, the interesting thing about that is, is uh, what one of the things that covenant theology allows us to do is, is we understand that there's not kind of a secret code to the Bible. Now, I don't want to again. I, I don't like to criticize people when they're when they're not here. But one of the things that's always kind of frustrated me about dispensationalism, and some, and the popular dispensationalists is they kind of read the Bible with this code. And if you don't have the code, you're not going to understand passages like Matthew 7, 19. But when you step back and you understand it covenantally, you can say, oh, this text means what it appears to me. Right. And Matthew 7, 19 is in the context of false prophets. And, he, and Jesus is saying, you know, false prophets, you should judge them by the fruit, by, by their lives. Uh, their words are going to be deceptive and uh, and they should all be judged. If you get into the morass, the endless morass of, of judging them by everything they say, and well, is this right or that right? It's going to take forever sometimes. And uh, but a false prophet should be judged by his fruit. And and we've seen that in the PCA. It's been a real problem for us as different people have risen and new teachings have come and gone. And some people want to get in there and and argue every minute uh, point. And it's a lot. Uh, safer, just to take a step back and go, well, let me look at this person's life. Uh, is he being arrogant? Is he argumentative? Is he splitting churches? Is he splitting good gospel preaching churches? How, how's his family? One of these uh, kind of false teachings was was called theonomy back in the eight, 70s and 80s. And, and uh, when I tr- would try to point out to people, well, you know, those people, the, the main teachers of theonomy, they weren't even speaking to each other by the end of the mm. uh, kind of period of their popularity. And, and one of them, uh, one of the major uh, leaders, Gary DeMar, I believe, but I may be wrong, maybe Gary North, I get them confused, uh, was the, the son-in-law of another one of the leaders, uh, Rusus Rushnuni. And 
even though they were in the same family, they weren't speaking. And when I would raise that kind of question, people would say, oh, that's an ad hominem argument. you got to argue the, the points, not against the people. And I said, well, not when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to the gospel, Jesus says, judge a false prophet by his fruits, by his life. What is his teaching producing? And if it's producing conflict and, and hatred and, uh, and division, you can just reject that. So that's what that text means, Matthew 7, 19 means. I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend to know what uh, dispensationalists say that it means, but that's what that text means. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> that's good. Well, in the, in the latter third of your sermon yesterday, you started to talk about how co- being in covenant with mm-hmm. one another in a community and with the church means that we not only... Uh, we not only benefit from the joys and uh, progress of others, but we also have to recognize where our communities have failed mm-hmm. and be willing to repent of sin. And you brought up what we what we did in our denomination this summer in repenting of our past racism. Um, so we've got a couple of questions wanting to flesh that out a little bit. One yeah. of the questions says this. So it, at what point does repenting of past sins no longer make sense? We live in a culture that takes the slightest offense at anything to the point of absurdity. How do you determine the balance? Yeah, let me talk about this. I knew this was going to be controversial, and, and I honestly, I raised it on purpose to give people a week to think about it, because next week I'm going to be preaching about Christ in culture and the church in culture. And, uh, and so I wanted to give us a chance to think about it. And, uh, and yeah, the, the PCA example is a great example. And what I mean is, if you're going to take on the name, take on the identity of a group or a movement, then you need to be prepared to be honest about that group or movement. And, and if you're not going to openly repent of the sins of that group, then people have the right to assume that you are um, approving of the sins of that group. So, for instance, I had a, one of my students, when I was uh, in the Mississippi Delta, I took him up to St. Louis to work with an interracial uh, church. That's uh, the, the vision of that church, one of the New City Fellowship churches. And the vision of that church was to... Uh, preach reconciliation and reconcile uh, blacks and whites in the church, have them in church together. And it was a real life-changing week for him. That mission trip changed his life. And he ended up, though at the beginning of the week, he was furious at me. He literally, I thought he was going to hit me. Uh, He said, these people aren't doing anything but calling us racists. And I just kept saying, just listen to them. Just listen to what they have to say. And And by the end of the week, his life really was changed. And he ended up moving back to St. Louis to work with that ministry full time Mm -hmm. and live in a, well, it was an all black neighborhood until he moved there. And so he moved there to this this community to to be a minister, to to bring uh, grace and reconciliation and, uh, and, and relief to this community. But everybody, nobody would talk to him. Everybody ignored him. And he couldn't understand why. And and one day he asked his pastor that he was working for, he said, you know, I drive down the street and nobody will wave at me. I, I'm, I'm here to help and, and I'm here to get to know people and they, and they won't, nobody will even wave at me. 
And his pastor laughed and he said, well, that's because you have a Confederate flag on the license plate of your truck. Take that flag off. And he's like, oh, no. You know, well, I'm not a racist. That just means I'm Southern. He's like, well, that's not how people here are seeing it. And, I mean, I've made that argument before, but if you're not going to openly, openly acknowledge the sins of these groups that you identify with, people are going to assume you approve them. And so he took the license plate off, and then people started, you know, talking to him, and he became had a tremendous ministry there, and the Lord called him into the ministry, and he's doing uh, great work even now. But that's just an example. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the—certainly some people in our culture get silly about taking offense at, at things. And if you don't agree that, you know, people are— you know, if you don't agree that certain things are sinful, then that's fine. Uh, you know, don't repent of anything you don't think is a sin. But, uh, you know, I, I just raise that as a question. And I know that's it's going to be really hard for some people who are just so passionate about their southern roots or about their, uh, especially like veterans who have done military service. And, and can we admit that some of the things that our military has done has, has been wrong or mm-hmm. um you know, I know people who have uh, given their life for public service with, with the police and and feel very uh, offended whenever um, the police are, are criticized by, by Black Lives Matter and, and other groups. And, and um, in order for us to really be able to talk and to learn and, and to love each other, we're going to have to be willing to admit that every group, every human group, whether it be a nation uh, or a, a profession uh, or a ministry or a, a church or denomination, we're all sinful. And we've got to come in with our hands open, willing to admit our sins, willing to admit the sins of our groups before we can truly have a conversation and learn and begin to love each other and exhibit love for each other. Yeah, that's really good. And just thinking about what sins to repent of, I think really just takes wisdom. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule. You know, what, what sins would it make sense in, in your context and the people you're talking to, 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 to repent of that sin mm-hmm. and to talk about it. Um, you know, I just think of just a beautiful example in the book of Job when mm-hmm. at the very beginning, uh, when Job, they're de- the author's describing Job and he says that he used to uh, make an offering, a sacrifice to the Lord when his kids would have a party in case they sinned. And just in case. Yeah. That's just such a beautiful picture of a father who has taken covenantal responsibility for his family, mm-hmm. even though... Those weren't his sins. Um, he he recognized he loved his kids so much that he wanted to intercede to the before the Lord for them and uh, and just in case they sin. Just in Lord, case, yeah. Lord forgive them and and bless them. You know, and I just don't think any of us are really that close to repenting too much. You know, <laughs> and so I, I would just encourage you to have your hands open. It, it's such a beautiful thing to repent and ask another's forgiveness. Uh, one of my very favorite passages in any book uh, is in the children's book, uh, The Last Battle, written by C.S. Lewis. And as these two friends are getting prepared for their last battle and they know they're going to die, 
They're, they're just they're kind of taking an oath to fight till the death. And they look at each other and, and one says to the other, if in any way I have ever offended you, will you please forgive me now? And his friend responds by saying, I wish you had for offended me because it would be so sweet to offer you forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that that's what we're looking for. I mean, there, the argument, the, the joy that comes from being right, that's a very small joy compared to the joy that comes from being forgiven. And so I, I would just encourage you, don't, don't try to defend your rightness. Uh, instead, in, uh, come into the light of enjoying the, the love of being forgiven. And how much would it just revolutionize our marriages mm. if we really saw that covenantal aspect? Mm-hmm. We are one, and so when I recognize my spouse has sinned or maybe has sinned, Rather than to keep him or her at a distance, mm-hmm. I can actually take on that sin like Job did and mm. and ask forgiveness and just feel the pain of that, but but then forgive and love through that. And that that's not the way I often look at my marriage. Well, it's hard. Did. It's hard, but you know, that's life and we're we're all learning, we're all getting there. So I think that about covers the questions from yesterday. Yeah, I think it does. And that, that was a good way to end. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling it a day. So, All right. Thank okay. you so much for listening to our podcast. And I hope that you will uh, encourage your friends to share, um, to share this podcast. And you obviously know where to find it because you have. If you would like to send us questions, uh, please do so. Our email address again is info at riveroakstulsa.com. And finally, uh, if you like the teachings of River Oaks, I've done my best to put, uh, to kind of boil down all of our teaching into a, a little book that I call Too Good to Be True, and that's now available at Amazon.com. Look up Too Good to Be True by Ricky Jones. There's about 15 teenage uh, romance novels called Too Good to Be True, and I didn't write any of those. <laughs> so look up the one by Ricky Jones if you're interested in our teachings. Uh, have a great week. Thank you so much. Uh, Lord bless you.